Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, Matthew 9, 11 through 13. I'm going to talk to you this morning about repentance. It's a, a, a topic that I have never preached on, um, but I'm, I'm excited to do so, and I'll explain why I'm doing that here in a second. Let's read the scripture. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy mercy, and not sacrifice. For I did not come, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. Yeah. We talk a lot about repentance in the church. In small groups, in, in, in conversations. Like I said, I've, I've never had the, the privilege of, of, of preaching about repentance um, before, or specifically on the topic. I'll tell you why, why I'm doing it. Um, we don't do a lot of series here. Series is like the big thing in church these days, so you can kind of follow along. And, um, but today, we are in a series. It actually started last week. It's called The Foundations of Faith. I don't know if Pastor talked about it or not, but we are in a series, Jesus, or, um, Jesus, Quentin preached on Jesus is Lord last week. This week I'm preaching on repentance. Next week, I believe it's laying on hands. The week after that, it is um, baptism. That we are in a, a foundation of faith series. The cool thing about this is we're not only in here on this subject, but we are also talking about that with the kids and the teenagers. We're talking about that in our small groups. So that means you have the ability, if you have a kid or a teenager, to go home this afternoon and actually have a conversation about Jesus. Novel idea, yeah? Huh? Huh? The idea is that the entire church preparing our hearts for Advent would kind of get recalibrated. Yes, these are our foundations. Yes, this is what it is that we believe. Yes, this is what the Bible says about Jesus as Lord. This is what the Bible says about repentance. This is what the Bible says about baptism and laying on of hands. So expect that. Expect to come in next week and learn about the foundations of your faith. Expect to ask your kids, your teenagers, what does the Apostles' Creed mean to you? What is the, the Ten Commandments? What is the, the Lord's Prayer? These are all very easy questions that allow them to speak. So this morning, it's on repentance. Before we get to repentance, and every time I hear the word repent, um, it makes me think of Nick Oglesby or Kent Durant in the Easter play, right? As John the Baptist, repent! They're very good. Nick O could do it, so could Kent, obviously, um, without a microphone, and you guys would hear it just fine. They both, it both works well, because like when you, well, you two stand up. Like, look at them. They just look like John the Baptist. And they're not even in their garb. They're hairy men. I, th- I don't know why, it's weird, I apologize, but you think of John the Baptist, it's like, that dude was hairy, he had to be, right? 
I don't know. Sorry. Repent. Repentance. Before we talk about repentance, we have to figure out what it is that we're repenting of. And what is it that we are repenting of? We are repenting of our sin. Well, what is sin? Everyone likes to, um, pastors and people who think that they're intelligent in regards to the Bible and whatnot, they like to like dissect the fall, right? Their original sin, the thing that Adam and Eve continues to screw up for us. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm proud of them. They're probably really smart, but I like to keep it simple. So I'm going to give you a simple definition of what sin is. Cool? Fantastic. Sin is declared independence. That's it. Two words. Declared independence. It is realizing that God is a part of your life saying, hey man, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I'm still with you a little bit, but I'm going to do this one on my own. Sin is declared independence. One of our biggest misunderstandings, um, uh, I believe anyway, about sin is that we believe sin is just a simple action. Sin is not just a simple action. The, this sinful nature, these, these things that are quote-unquote sin, there is a root issue underneath that sin. We like to see sin and point it out, but we don't want to be in relationship enough to figure out what the root issue is. Yeah, thank you. Um, we know this about anger, right? Anger is a secondary emotion. If you've been around my wife at all in the last, I don't know, two years maybe, we talk a lot about, I'm looking at you, Katie, we talk a lot about um, anger being, not because I'm an anger guy, like it's just a, just a, a, a point of reference. Um, anger is a secondary emotion. You see anger, we all see anger, it, right? It's loud, um, it, it, it's annoying. I, I personally think it's awfully childish. Um, but the, the point is, is that anger is a secondary emotion. There's a root issue. We see sin on people and, sit, and we have the ability to point sin out. But what's really going on? The problem is, is we see this and think we've got to do this on our own. I remember growing up, and I, I've, I've said in the past, like, when I was younger, pre-sixth grade, um, we went to all the churches. Like, I was Catholic, I was Episcopalian, I was Methodist, free and united. I was um, um, brethren. I don't even actually know what brethren is. Um, we went to an AG church. We went to them all. We come here, um, and one of the things that I think sometimes parents forget is that their kids listen. This is not a harp on you. I apologize if you think so. Um, my parents are over there if you don't know. Um, one of the things I'm realizing um, is where to have conversations and where not to have conversations. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. This is actually a really big deal for Heather and I. If, if I'm going to pass this faith on, I need to do everything I can to pass a pure faith on, not a faith colored in, in my lenses, right? And sometimes, well, I do that. 
Sometimes Hampton hears, and I, re- I remember growing up and hearing this behavior modification way of life. It's not that any, any adult or any parent or any pastor for that matter, I, don't, I'm not, I, I would not say that this is what they believed, but it's a, it's a conversation that I heard on a regular basis that in order to belong, you had to, had to behave. This, that, that phrase in and of itself was, was kind of coined by a pastor um, that's a little older than me a couple of years ago, that this, the church is not a behavior modification. You have to behave in order to belong. Jesus comes into our lives. We just read a scripture that said he sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus isn't interested in how perfect you are. Jesus is interested in a relationship with you. And because Jesus is interested in a relationship with you, he doesn't care what your lifestyle is in order to step in. We don't like that because we can't box it in, okay? We don't like that because, well, I need you to be a good kid, and I need you to get all A's, and I need you to not cuss, and I need you to not drink, and I need you to not smoke, and I need you to not have premarital sex, and I need you to do all of these things, as if smoking and drinking and cussing and premarital sex is what actually sends you to hell. I'm not saying it's God's best for you. Don't misunderstand and don't put words in my mouth of what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's God's best for you. But what I am saying is that I, I grew up thinking that those things were going to send me to hell. And they don't. I grew up in a youth group with a youth pastor who would say, we would do these things like, for this month or for this next season, we're going to throw all of our CDs away, of which none of us did. <laughs> and we're only going to listen to Jesus music. Because Jesus music, and, and if that's the only thing, then, then you, you won't go out and do bad things. It's this idea that we have the ability to be a perfect individual. The problem is, is we're making it and not allowing God to. Which is also known as declared independence which is also known as sin. So, who is repentance for? Is repentance just for the certain few that come in this building? Is, the, is, is repentance for the individuals who, who only come down to the altar? Listen, there is a, like every Sunday, I'll be honest with you, every Sunday, like, I just desire this altar to be filled. And, and let, me, let, me, let me tell you why that is. It has very little to do with, with me or, or Pastor Quentin um, giving, like my wife. My wife, I mean, she did a really great job, right? It's fantastic. I'm happy about it. But I want God to move in such a way that our, our, our answer is hands raised and knees bowed, Right? And to, to be able to allow, like, I'm, I'm a visual learner. I'm, I'm not the most intelligent individual, right? I, I need to see, I need to feel, I need to touch. And I can't think of a better way to say, okay, God, I'm going to lay things down at your feet. And I'm actually laying things down at his feet. Lord, I'm going to um, be in communion with you. And so at the end of every service, we take the stale cracker and the grape juice, and say, this is not just a still cracker and grape juice. This is the body and the blood. 
These things help me. I don't know if it helps you or not. But repentance is not just for the people who come down here. Repentance is not just for you who are sitting in the seat. Repentance is for the world. And it is our job, you and I, to take it. See, we talk about uh, taking the gospel, right? And the Great Commission is an easy one to, to, to talk about. Take the, the gospel into the world, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Like we know salvation needs to happen, but we forget that repentance is freedom. For, repentance is a gift of forgiveness. Repentance ch- breaks those chains. It tears down those walls. We can talk about Jesus is good, but until the walls break down, it's hard to really receive it, right? Oh, I'm just the only one. I, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, we're going to talk about them here in a second. There have been times in my life where I have built walls in such a way that I knew God was good. I knew he, he loved me, but because of the way I acted, I didn't think I was able to attain his love, right? Because, I, because of the way I acted, I did not think I was good enough for repentance. I did not think I was good enough for his grace. I did not think I was good enough. I knew he wanted to love me. I grew up in church. I've heard it all of my life. And yet there was a disconnect. And there was a disconnect because the enemy wants to come in and twist that, right? He wants to deceive you. You really are a terrible person. Therefore, Jesus wants to love you, but he really can't because of the actions, And so you have to change those actions. But in Luke, Luke 24, it it says that we are to, um, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, to every single person we come in contact with. Do you know the love of God? Do you know that you, that there is a forgiveness? This, This is a gift of God. The cross, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the gift of repentance to you and I. The message of repentance, this is for all who have received it, to go and tell. To go and tell the nations. Anyone who has ever truly experienced repentance knows that they can't keep it to themselves. Anybody who has truly experienced this forgiveness knows they can't, they talk about it. They talk about it. We'll talk about that here in a second. But there's, there's this, this change on the inside of them that the conversations they had or used to have aren't quite the conversations they have anymore. Luke 15, 7 says, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. A couple of weeks ago, we took the boys to Arrowhead Stadium for Hezekiah's birthday. And we did a, a tour and whatnot, and it was, it was really cool. But in, somewhere in there, and I can't remember where it was, it, it read the decimal level of, of what Arrowhead can get to. And as I was writing this, I, I, I wondered, when you hear... <laughs> There is joy in heaven over one sinner. I wonder how much louder heaven is than Arrowhead Stadium, right? Like, I, I wonder what joy in heaven looks like. Like, you, you, you have an idea of what joy in heaven or in joy on earth looks like between us. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, like true joy. I, I wonder what it looks like in heaven. Ah. Acts 17 says, God is now declaring to, to men that people everywhere should repent. 
2 Peter 3, 9 says, God himself is not willing for any to perish. God himself is not willing for any to perish. God himself is not willing for anyone to perish. That's a big statement that you should think about a little bit. But that all should come to repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Make it clear that church leaders are to call people to repentance with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. You will find opposition. If perhaps... God may grant them repentance. John Ortberg once said, true repentance never leads to despair. It leads home. It leads to grace. It is that grace. It is that home that opens up our hearts in such a way to see things differently, to feel things differently, to hear things differently. It reveals the new mercies every day that we find in his scripture. It reveals the free and light life. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The message translation says that, um, that I have new mercies for everyone. That, that your grace is different than, than, than my grace. That I, I will show you a free and light life. John 10, 10, we talk about this like all the time in, in, in youth group. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. We talk about it all the time, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know why? Because the kids today, they're going through some stuff. Now, there's a, 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 a bunch of, of, of older folks in here that would like to say, including me at times, right, Kim, that would like to say, um, you, you, don't, you don't have it that bad. I, I'll tell you, they live in a, in a world that I have never lived in. They are bullied 24-7. They are looked at on social media all of the time. We are struggling, um, ooh, I may get in trouble here. Since 1990, um, according to, to data, um, the helicopter parent has, has come in at around 1990 and our rates of suicide have shot up in teenagers. To think that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who gives us mercy, has come to give us life to the fullest. Not just life to get by, but life to the fullest. Not just life to get through this week, but life to the fullest. This is what repentance and forgiveness gives us. We have the ability to see for a moment that that life is full. First John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. First Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of being wronged. The world needs to know that God is not a God. I said this earlier, who's sitting on a cloud looking to condemn you, but God is the God sitting across the table saying, I know you're hurt, but I'm with you. I know you're in the valley, but we're walking through it. Just stick with me. Just stick with me. You have to understand, repentance reunites our hearts to God's heart. And that is an impactful day. 
when that happens. Repentance is impactful. Repentance is, is something that you and I do not forget. If, if we're honest, if, if, if every person is honest, we know what it is to struggle with sin. I know what it is to struggle with sin. We try and we fail and we get up again only to try and fail again and we leave ourselves discouraged. We're done. I'm just so tired, right? Have any of you ever just been discouraged so long that it's just, it's exhausting. I'm so, just so tired. See, we say um, from this pulpit a lot that, that God speaks to us daily. All the time, God's speaking to us. And um, and, and, and I very much believe that he does. Uh, as I was thinking about the, the sermon and whatnot, I, I wrote that part, like, I don't know, Wednesday-ish, Tuesday's Wednesday-ish. And God always reveals things, right? If, if we're paying attention, God's always revealing things. And Hezekiah had football practice on Thursday night. And he was going, he was, um, we were scrimmaging uh, Trinity, the Catholic school over here, and it's the third, and Hezekiah's in the third grade, it's the third and fourth grade football team. And I have no idea what those Catholic folks are feeding those boys, but <laughs> they are not missing a meal. There were some fourth graders that were looking me in the eyes, and I was like, what? And I realized I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but I ain't short. And so we go, and we're, we're going through our stuff, warming up and whatnot. And we just start, it's just a scrimmage. We, we weren't, we're just running some offensive plays and running some defensive plays. And Hezekiah is lined up. Um, I have no idea his name. His number was 95 because I it took everything I had not to just go out there and break him. Because um, I'm human. Um, and my son was getting destroyed. <laughs> He's not in here, is he? That's good. Um, and so halfway through the, the scrimmage, he's just done. He's tired. He's literally not one. He's not blocking. He's not getting through the line on defense. Like everything he needs to do and he knows he needs to do, he just can't do it because the opposition is just, is just big. He's just big. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily better, but... He, he, when, when Hezekiah, Hezekiah is not a small guy for his age. When Hezekiah can't push someone out of the way, you know, he's just a big dude. So he's in tears. Hezekiah, when he gets frustrated, he doesn't get angry. That's Hampton. Hezekiah just cries. And you can see, like, he's just devastated. He, he wants to give up. I, Dad, I can't do this anymore. I said, buddy, that's, that's not an option. And so we talked about adversity, we talked about endurance. One of my very favorite scriptures is Matthew 5, or not Matthew, excuse me, Romans 5, 3 through 5, that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I didn't look at him in the eyes in the moment and say, hey, you need to rejoice in your sufferings. We did talk about it later because these are great moments, right? Like, like to teach my third grader who I'm going to have to teach year after year after year what adversity looks like, what perseverance looks like. And listen, this is not something that we, we have the ability to talk about one time. No, this is something we have to talk about every single year, every single moment we're hit. If 
if I need to pass this faith, this honest faith to him, then it's gonna take work on my part, parents. It's gonna take work every single day. This isn't the day that you get to take off every once in a while. No, you have to be intentional with your conversations. He's only in my home for so long. Now I'm getting on a soapbox and this is a soapbox that I'm gonna be on for a really long time. Maybe not in this sermon, but you should just expect it the next time I preach, okay? Because I, I feel like right now it is my job. Hampton turns 12 this year. In, in 13, in every other culture, and every other um, religion, 13 is like the, the step into adulthood. I've got to spend time having these conversations. He needs to understand that I can rejoice in my sufferings because my, my rejoicing in sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because it is given to us by the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us. Now that has the ability to get you fired up. That has the ability to say, that guy may be bigger. And I know it's football, but you have to understand, this is how God speaks. He, he may speak to you differently. He speaks to me through this. No, this is what discouragement looks like, and this is what repentance does to discouragement. Thanks. Jesus calls sinners to repentance. We see in Matthew 9, 11 through 13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is where religion gets it wrong. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come for the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Let me tell you why repentance is so impactful. When you have lived a very selfish life, when you have lived a very selfish, self-involved, it is me life, and you come to the end of the rope, and no one is there, and you realize Jesus still loves you, and that changes everything. When you realize you don't deserve the love that he gives, when you realize you don't deserve the grace that he gives, when you realize, and he still does, he's still right here, and that's an impactful day. That is a day that sticks with you. Cameron has been living in my home for 18 months, and we have had some fun conversations, haven't we, bud? <laughs> Cameron has experienced what this looks like. Cameron would say, if he got up here and I won't make you, but Cameron would say, on July 11th, my life changed. Now, Cameron's been in this church since he was a kid, Cameron was all was in church um, more or less the majority of the time through high school. Cameron has been in my home for 18 months. I've done everything I could to cultivate an atmosphere where he would change. In fact, I've done everything I could to make him change. But it wasn't until he surrendered his life. It wasn't until he stepped right here. And I was doing everything I can to hold back tears because Kelly Stuckey was in his face, reading his mail like something, you know, like you just pulled it out of the mailbox. And Cameron would tell you, July 11th changed my life, Dad. July 11th. 
is that hunger. That's, that's, the, that's that, that, that perspective change that I was talking about a second ago. The, 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 the words change not because you've got to be prim and proper, but the words change because God's still stirring on your heart. And you don't quite understand why God's still stirring on your heart. Every dadgum Sunday we get done, Cameron wants to talk about, hey, so explain this to me. Hey, so explain that to me. Hey, so this is what I felt. And this is what I'm now I got my 11-year-old, almost 12-year-old down at the altar. And I'm just trying to do church here, folks. You want me to pastor. And I got kids who are getting saved, who are, who are figuring out. And he, I don't, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to talk to you. I want to go over to my 11-year-old. I want to I be with the 18-year-old trying to figure out what it, may, what it means to be a man of God. I'm not interested in soft Christianity. I'm interested in strong men of God who have the ability to stand firm in the foundation of Jesus Christ and say, this is what repentance looks like, and you need it, buddy. Not in a condemning way, because <laughs> we did that for so long, right? We have condemned people into repentance that, that produced no change. No, you have to understand. No, 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 bud. But, but my, my life changed in such a way I had no control over it. God just did something. I was forgiven of my sins, and bro, I'm not a very good dude. I remember the day it happened for me. I'm going to tell you a bit of my story that I've never said from the pulpit. So if you judge me, I probably don't care that much. I love you. I just probably don't care that much. Um, from the fall of 2003 to the spring of 2005, I did a really great job of living how I wanted to live. I did a really great job of living a self-declared independence. <clears throat> there were some really great times through that. I got to experience some really cool stuff at Butler Community College playing baseball. But I was selfish. In the fall of 2004, um, I had my first arm surgery. The surgery was called Tommy John surgery, and the rehab um, was about nine to 12 months, which means I don't get to play baseball, which for whatever reason meant I didn't need to go to school either. <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't. I was drinking. I was doing drugs. I was in some of the most unhealthy relationships with women. It was a tough, tough time. But for me, in that moment, I was just doing what I wanted to do. I lost about, I went in um, before surgery um, at a very healthy weight, and I left that semester at a very unhealthy weight. I got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't eat without puking it back up. Um, and it wasn't because I was bulimic or anything like that. Well, maybe I was. I don't, I don't really know. The anxiety was too much. The, I lived a life that was filled with drugs and alcohol, um, women, and an inability to calm my spirit. And so at the end of the semester, um, I left. I didn't say anything to anybody. I packed my stuff up. Um, I didn't say anything to my roommates. I just left. 
also because I lost my scholarship and failed out of college. But I had nothing. Everything I had, quote unquote, worked for. This is the problem, is that if you work for it, you can take the credit for it. But God will do things in your life in such a way, in such a weird way, that you have no ability to take credit for it. I came home, and without missing a beat, I kept drinking, I kept partying. In June of um, 2005, I got an MIC. If you don't know what an MIC is, it's a minor in consumption. I was in a vehicle with a drunk guy, and I was drunk. And I hit my proverbial rock bottom. He went to jail. I got my butt whooped by my parents. Um, and I was, I was done. There wasn't a drug. There wasn't um, a, a girl. There wasn't a drink that could get me out of the hell that I was in. And I put myself there. And so, fast forward a couple of weeks, maybe a month or something, I don't know. Um, my brother-in-law, who was a baseball coach at Central Christian College in McPherson at the time, um, he said, hey, why don't, I had done my rehab, it was about the only thing that I did through that year, so my arm was good, and he said, why don't you come play baseball? I didn't want to play baseball anymore. So he eventually talked me into it, and I thought, well, I've got to get my mind right. I've got to get my life right. Maybe going to a Christian college would, um, would help me do that. And I'm smiling because if you've ever come to Christian college, that's, that's really not how that works. But it was what I needed, I thought, at the time, because the, the college that I went to, though there were some really great people, was awfully legalistic. I was in a spot in my life where I had to perform in, in order to be in relationship with God. That I had screwed all of this stuff up that I had pushed myself away in such a manner that I had to do more good things than bad things through the day to try and, and, and climb this ladder in order to be in a relationship with God. And Central helped that. Yeah, you gotta go to Bible study. Yeah, you, you gotta do these things, right? Yeah, if you, if you sin, you're, you're, you're going to hell. Yes, if you are. They, they kind of reinforced the need to, to do things. And so I did. I go, went to the Bible studies. It's not that I didn't know God. I knew God. And I knew that he knew me. I just didn't think I was good enough to be in relationship with him. And so I would go to the chapels. Um, and I, would, I got on the, the chapel worship team um, and played guitar and drums for them. Um, I was doing my schoolwork. I, had, I was in such academic issues that I had to pass 26 credit hours in a semester in order to play in that spring. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, a full-time student is like 12 credit hours um, for an entire semester. So I was in a bad hole all around, but I was doing it. I was figuring it out. I had moved in that fall with a couple of friends in my house, into a house. It wasn't a healthy environment, not because they're bad guys, but because I was trying to get my life right, right? So I moved into the dorms thinking, I never wanted to live in the dorms. And then I moved into the dorms and they were a blast. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to live. But I moved into um, the dorms with a guy named Tyson Williams. And um, Tyson changed my life forever. Um, Tyson was one of the things that changed my life forever. And so, um, 
fall or February of 2006, um, we had been talking and living together for a couple of weeks and he said, hey, Sean, I want you to read this book. And I laughed because at that point in time in my life, Sean didn't read. Listen, you guys have heard me read. I'm not the best reader. I, that's, just the, that's just the way that it is. Today, I like to read. I just still suck at it. Sorry. He gave me a book, and he said, I want you to read this. He said, based off the conversations, he says, Sean, I need you to understand God loves you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I picked it up, and I read it. And on page 21 and 22, the scripture, Matthew 9, 11 through 13, pops up. And at the end of it, it says, for I, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinner. And it was like everything that I needed clicked. Wait a second. Jesus came for me? Wait a second. I don't have to be perfect? Wait a second. I don't have to perform for him? I've had to perform, my entire baseball career was all about performance. If you wanted on the field, you had to be good. So everything that I did was about my performance. I just assumed, I just assumed my life was about performance. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't care about your performance. I care about you. I got, I got things in store for you that you would never even think or imagine, Sean. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but 2005 wasn't overly long ago. You know, the fact that I'm standing here in front of you is a witness to what God has the ability to do in someone's life. It's not because I'm good at anything. It's not because I'm some great preacher. It's not because I'm, no, it's because God will change your life in such a way that the day you, you understand and step into true repentance and feel that forgiveness is the day you'll change your life forever. Yes, it is impactful because it, there's no choice other than to be impactful. The book... Um, of which I tell everybody, everyone should read. Right, Kurt? <laughs> the book is called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And the entire book is about God's grace. Brennan Manning, if you don't know, was a drunk. He was a priest and he was a drunk. And he stumbled into God's grace and wrote one of the books that changed my life. For the first time, I could go to work with God instead of working for God, working to try and prove to God. So what does repentance look like? The best model of repentance that you find in the Bible is Luke 15, the prodigal son. This is what repentance looks like. And if you don't know that story, um, it is a story of a son who looked at his dad and said, I want my inheritance now. I'm going to go. And he did. His dad gave it to him. And he left. And he squandered it all. He had nothing to show for it and found himself in a pig pen contemplating on whether or not to eat the pig slop. See, I need you to understand that sin will take you further than you want to go. 
It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll make you stay longer than you want to stay. But in Luke 15, 17 through 19, the prodigal son found himself. He came to himself, the scripture says. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Of course, we know the story, and this is what Jesus does for us. He has sit here and rationalized and try and figure it out. He came up with a plan to try and get some sort of good graces back with his dad so he could become a hired servant. He says, I, I, I'm not even worthy of being your son anymore. I realize I'm not worthy of being your son anymore, but I, I will work for you. If you would just let me, I'll just be one of your servants. I'll work for you. And the father met him. He didn't even have the ability to get to the house. The father met him on the road and gave him the hug only a father can give and clothed him and threw him a party. And you can imagine what that kid, what that kid I, I don't know, what that guy was thinking the prodigal son, How, but no, let me, let me talk. No, 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 just, just let me put this robe over you. No, 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 but dad, let me, let, let me explain. He said, no, 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 let me, let me put shoes on your feet. He said, dad, I'm, I'm not deserving of anything. He said, no, you're deservant of everything, son. Come, let's feast. This is what God does for us. He meets us on the road. He doesn't make us get to the home he doesn't make us jump through hoops. He says, oh, man, it's good to see you. Yes. Corey Ten Boom says that there are four marks of repentance. And you see these in Luke 15. The acknowledgement of wrong. The willingness to confess. You, you see the prodigal son do this, right? The willingness to confess. I, I know I've screwed up. I know the, the willingness to abandon, to abandon, I, I realize I have lived a life, I'm going to abandon that life. I realize I, I have come to my end, I have come to the end of my rope, I got to abandon this. And willingness to make restitution, Father forgive me, Father forgive me, Dad I've done you wrong. I don't deserve, but Father, forgive me. You know, restitution is kind of a, to, to make things right. If I, if I get in a screaming match with my wife and we're just getting after it, right? You, you left the door open, the dogs got out, my trucks broke down. It's a good country song. She broke my heart. Um, we're having it out. Listen, listen, listen. And, and I go, I go to ask God for forgiveness. I repent of my sins. 
but I don't go back to my wife and make things right. That's not true repentance. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow, but God is asking us. He's asking us to be willing to abandon. He's asking us to be willing to confess, to acknowledge the wrong, and to make things right. Repentance is a gift from God that we are given. That it is not our gift to keep, it is our gift to give away. Repentance leads to a restored life, a restoration of truth. The fact of the matter is truth sets us free. Truth sets us free. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Time.